us pray. Father, we give thanks to you for your word. Not only is it living, but it also gives life to each and every one of us. We ask our God that as we open the scriptures today, you would challenge us to be the people that you want us to be, that we might see you as the God who is in everything that comes into our lives. Bless us now through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Did you notice that when my wife started to speak, it started to thunder? That's kind of the way things are at home. Kind of the way things are at home, too. Kind of one of those deals. Pay attention, Tom. Well, I, I have to tell you something. It's the first time I've ever done this in all my life. After the first service, I threw away my notes. Yeah, they weren't printed right, so I threw them away and printed some new ones. So, um, but that got you, didn't? So, you know, it was it, it was kind of interesting as I looked at the passages for this week. Uh, I have to tell you, I looked at the Ephesians passage in the beginning of the week. I said, "This is what I will preach," and then I read the Exodus passage, and it is so much more exciting to tell you the truth. There are so many great things in it, and then you read uh, from uh, Psalm, and it picks up the things that are there, and then you come over into the gospel, and it reminds us that, that the people were fed manna in the wilderness, and that Jesus came and, and, and gave life, and I'm, I tried to do an outline so that it would do what, uh, I wanted God, uh, what I thought God wanted it to do, and it didn't work out at all, so I came back uh, to the Ephesians passage, and the thing that got me about all the passages is that if there seems to be this whole thing about where we talk about the good old days. You remember? Um, we do that now. I mean, we look and we see what, what condition our world is in, and we talk about how wonderful things used to be and all of the wonderful stuff that would be there. I mean, uh, you know, I, I have a Facebook group that I'm on with that graduate from my high school, so we lived back in the dark ages and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we just, they're just good memories. Uh, um, my parents lived upstairs from my grandparents, and my grandparents had this fantastically big yard, so at night we would go out and uh, we would play hide and seek, and we would catch ladybugs. There are not many Lightning bugs, yeah, lightning bugs at night. Those two. You know, there aren't very many lightning bugs around here. They are around them. Uh, I did see them one time, and uh, I got the one that was here. It will not be back. But in any case, you know, we used to do things like that, and then we would really get racy in the things we did and play spin the bottle type deal. I mean... Heavy duty, I know, moving back into that sin world type deal and just looking back and saying just how wonderful. But, you know, when we come over here to the Egyptians kind of did that. I love the, I mean, the Israelites uh, in Egypt. I kind of, I love the Israelites. Don't you just love the Israelites? Israelites come to this place and they're murmuring because they're wondering if God can provide food for them. Now, they haven't run out of food yet, but they're wondering if God can provide food for them. And remember, after all, you know, 
this is something that you probably need to, to think a long way back about how God provided for them, right? And they said to them, we should be back and we should be eating out of the flesh pots in Egypt. Well, isn't that kind of an interesting thing? When we book, begin the book of Exodus, what are the people of Israel doing? They're complaining because they are slaves in Egypt and they don't want to be there. They don't want to be around the flesh pots. Right? So God says, okay, I'll get you out of there. And he does, doesn't he? I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle, and God brings them out. People can see. One of the things that happens over and over and over again with these things is that God wants, uh, wants the world to know I'm the God who is in control of everything over which you will have contact. There is nothing that is too powerful for me. I'm the God who can provide and do the things. And then, of course, they come out, you know, and they get up to the Red Sea, and they go, whoa, maybe we should have just died back there. And God says, just a second, I've led you by a pillar, uh, a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And now you're at the Red Sea, and I know that Pharaoh and his army are back there. Let's see what we can do. So he puts the pillar of fire between uh, the people of Israel and the, uh, and, and the people of Egypt. And then just this little thing happens. The Red Sea opens up, and it's dry land, right? No big deal there, right? Happens all the time, right? So the people just go ahead and go over on dry land. They... Uh, the, 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 or the, the pillar of fire is removed. The Egyptians go into the water, and what happens is that they are overwhelmed, and the uh, Israelites live another day. To do what? To serve the Lord. That was great until we get to the wilderness of sin. Now, doesn't that sound so moralistic, doesn't it? except that the word sin means clay. The wilderness of clay is what it was. They had come to a place where they began to wonder, can God take care of us? Here we are. By the way, God had said earlier, I can take you right into the land, but if I do that, you're going to have to fight the, uh, you're going to have to fight the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Gergesites, and all of the otherites. And you are not going to like it. So let's go a different direction. And he does, right? But now they begin to murmur and complain and say, let's go back to the flesh pots. Let's go back to the way things were. Right? How often do we do that when we come to a difficult time in our lives and say, gee, I wish I could go back to the way things were. But when we come over to the book of Ephesians, that's kind of the same theme that we have here. What we're looking at is basically... Um, Basically, these people are saying, or basically God's saying to these people, you don't want to go back to where you were. That's not where you want to be. And basically where they were, they were living with priorities that were different priorities than God had. Do you know what their priority was? Satisfy me. I'm the most important thing in all of the world. I want to be happy. I want what I want when I want it. And that was the idea that we have here. When we come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, 
beginning in verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He says, I don't want you to walk in the futility of their minds or the priorities that they've laid out or the things that they see as the most important. And then he comes down, and we'll talk about these two different things in a minute. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's in verse uh, uh, 20, assuming that you have heard about him. And we'll talk about that in, in just a minute. When we come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, this is basically that same kind of passage that we have over in Romans chapter 12. He's told them about all of the things that they've done for them. Remember? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What mercies? The mercies that we've seen in the first 11 chapters of, of the book of Romans. Based on those mercies, particularly the mercies that said, I've called you out. I no longer want you to have the priorities that the world had. I no longer want you to have the mindset that the world have. I want you to have a renewed mind, and that's basically the same thing that he happens that's happening here. Paul is a very logical person in his arguments. He does that in Romans. He does it in Ephesians. He talks about theology, and then he talks about this is what this is the practical outcome of the theology. You know. How many people have told me, you know, that theology stuff is nice, but I don't know. Well, let me tell you something. If you do not believe the right things, you will not do the right things. Without orthodoxy, there is no orthopraxy. We can't do the things that we ought to do unless we have the right view of who and what God is and what he expects of us. And that's what he's talking about here. Where are your priorities? For the first part, he says, I don't want you to be as those Gentiles. Now, when he talks about, when he uses the term Gentile there, he's not using in the sense that we normally use it, where it's Gentile Jews. He's talking about people who are in a different set, and we'll find that out. These are people who have not come to a place where they've put their faith and their trust in God through Jesus Christ to provide for their lives. Okay? That's the idea. These Gentiles are Gentiles and Jews. These, these people are uh, slaves and free. These people are black and white. These people are rich and poor. The problem is that when we look at this, they, have the, they, they walk in the futilities of their mind, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Well, we get a picture of what that looks like. What happens here, he says, is that they became callous. Uh, you know, you ever get a callous? You, after a while, it hurts at first, right? And then it gets hard. And then you basically don't feel anything, and you go, you go on through. Their hearts become callous. They're hard. It doesn't matter. What's most important for these people is what I want. And believe me, that's exactly what happened to Adam back in the garden. That's what happened to Eve in the garden. 
not what's going to glorify God, but what I want. He says, I don't want you to be as those people who simply say, this is what I want because it's, it's for me. It's for my pride. It's for my good. It's for this. It's for that. One commentator said, here when he says, uh, uh, they no longer walk uh, as Gentiles. They are darkened, alienated from life uh, of God because of ignorance. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Like what this commentator says, with all this is pursued, uh, pursued with a continual lust, the term is not necessarily associated with sexual misconduct, though the context here suggests it. It means the determination to gratify self-interest at all costs, regardless of the rights of others. Did you hear that? Let me say that again for you. It means the determination to gratify self-interest at the cost, regardless of the right of others. I don't care about anybody else. I don't care about anything. I'm the most important thing that has ever walked on the face of this earth. And when we're left to ourselves, that's exactly the way we are. You know, if we would go back to the, to the beginning of Romans, he tells us what this mindset is all about. When we often read the very first part of it, where it talks about the sexual immorality and all of the things that go along with it, and we're able to sit back and go, no, no, that's not me. That's not where I was. But then we read on further, don't we? We come to things that are really heavy-duty sins like gossip, right? Or being boastful or, or foolish or ruthless, or heartless. You see, those things are all continued. When the mind is, when the mind's priority is, what is in this for me, those are the things that come out. I don't care about anything, anybody else. I don't care about God either. Because I'm more important than anybody. And what he's saying to them, you don't want to go back there. You don't want to go back there. That's not what you want to be. Now, I wish that he didn't have to tell that to the Ephesians, but apparently he did have to tell that to the Ephesians because sometimes we do say, let's go back to the flesh parts where I get what I want, where the satisfaction is there, where I think that I'm in control. But then he contrasts that when we come down to verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not what Christ taught you. When, when, when you heard about Christ, what did you hear? Did you hear that he was the one, that he did everything so that he would receive all of the glory? Did, did you hear that he was the one who did everything so that there would be no pain? That's what you heard about Christ, isn't it? And the answer, of course, is no. I love the next verse, though. 
The next verse says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. I love it. First class condition, John. We assume that this is true. We assume that you Ephesians have come to a place in your life where you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. You've heard the truth. You've heard that he's the one who gives life eternal. You know, the the, the people in in John uh, said, hey, we liked that food yesterday. You got any more? You got any more? I won't have to go to work if you keep standing around here, man. Just give me the food. And his position was, it's not about the food uh, physically that I give you. It's the food morally and spiritually. It's the message, my God, that your God is a God who is capable of taking care of you, and he's doing that through me. Over and over and over again in the, new, in, in the Gospels, Jesus reminds us, I didn't come here to do anything except to do one thing, to glorify my Father. I came to glorify my Father in the plan that was set out before the foundation of the world. That's what he did. That was what his mindset was. The priority wasn't what's going to happen to me. The priority is how is God going to be glorified in my life? What ends up happening with Jesus? (laughs) Well, the Father says, I'm going to glorify you. Because you glorified me. You're the one that's going to be lifted up. And I I love that aspect of it. When we look at it and he says, He says, assuming that you have heard this, put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. Make it new. Actually, and to put on new self created in the likeness of whom? God. God. You know, he's the gift. God gave us the gift of Jesus Christ, his son. The only way that you and I ever have opportunities to have that gift is God's spirit works in our hearts and our lives to show us our pride and our, uh, and our debauchery that says, I need something that comes from a father who can give life and give it eternally. And that's what happens. You know, and sometimes what we do with that is that we make that our fire escape from hell, and then we sit back and go, now I don't have to worry anymore. But you know what? Never, never, never in the New Testament does it ever end there. It always ends. You've been changed. You have new life. Your mind is renewed the way it should have been from the time of the garden where God is glorified in the things that happen, knowing that it is God that provided, that God provides each and every day, no matter what comes into my life, no matter what difficulties are there, I've got a God who is capable of doing anything that needs to be done, and the chief purpose for that is that he's glorified 
not me. I, uh, I failed in the sermon this morning. I was reminded by uh, Walter. He said, I was waiting for it to come. I was waiting for it to come, and you never did. And I said, I said, what, the chief end of man? He goes, no, 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 not that one. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You know, the people of Israel were out there in the wilderness, and they could have said, hey, God, we're not exactly sure what you have in store for us. We're we're not sure what kind of food you're going to provide. But one of the things that we do know is that we know you're a God that was strong enough to redeem us. You're a God that's strong enough to keep us. If we've got a God that's strong enough to redeem us, we've got a God that's strong enough to keep us. So that no matter what comes into my life, I can look and say, God, I don't want to go through this. This is not something that I would choose to do. But I know, God, that you're the God that's in control and that you're going to be glorified in these things that happen. And that's the way I need to be looking at my life and seeing things. Because when he is most glorified, uh, he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You know, when I can say, God, you've done everything that that you've ever promised to do. You've given me everything. You've given me the strength to get through times of difficulty. You've given me the, uh, the, the means somehow, maybe not the way I would have wanted it to go, but you're the one that's there. And I can say, you're the one that did it. Say, I'm satisfied that you're the God who could take control. He's most glorified. John Piper says about the spirit coming in working in our lives. But to enable us to do that, that is, the Spirit working in our lives, the Spirit must do a double work. He must work in two directions, from the outside in and from the inside out. He must work from the outside by exposing the mind of Christ-exalting truth. And the Spirit must work from the inside out, breaking the hard heart that binds and corrupts the mind. The Spirit must work from the outside in through Christ-exalting truth and from the inside out through truth embracing humility. You know, there will be people that will come into our lives and they won't be nice to us. They won't be good to us. They'll do everything that they can to make our lives miserable. But you know what? I've got a God that knows all about it. After all, what happened with Jesus? They mocked him, didn't they? They spat on him, didn't they? They whipped him till the back was almost gelinous, right? They put a crown of thorns on his head, and yet what is the first thing that he does when he gets on the cross? First words, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, the interesting thing is they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know that they were glorifying God through Christ's life and his death. Look, 
There is nothing in this world that promises that everything's going to turn out the way you want it to turn out. Nothing. I mean, things can happen. But that doesn't mean God doesn't love you and doesn't care about you. It means that God has a different plan than you thought he might have for you. And how often in our lives, if we would just say, God, you're the one that's in control of this, Help me to be the person that you want me to be so that you're glorified in whatever happens. Help me to love when it's hard to love. Help me to serve when it's hard to serve. But I want to be like you. I want to be like you. Nothing easy about it, my friends. Nothing easy about it. But what he does call us on to to be to know that he's a God that has the power to get us through anything that we face in our lives. We are to put on that self, that new self which is created in the likeness of Christ. We are to meet the standards that God had laid out. Remember what he said to his disciples, men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love each other as I loved you. You remember a few sermons ago I told you? See, that, that, uh, that threshold that he gives us is a pretty high threshold, isn't it? I want you to love as I loved you. Well, how much did you love me? I died for you. I died for you. It's pretty high, isn't it? Pretty high. I love the passage back in Micah chapter 6 when he reminds his people of what he wants. What does the Lord require of you, O man? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God? Isn't that great? Do we have recognized that there is, that we are like other people, that we have needs like other people? Do we love in a way that's loving kindness? And then do we say, God, I don't know all that's going to happen in my life, or I don't know, understand all of the things that are happening in my life, but I do know one thing. As I walk through the wilderness of sin, I walk through a wilderness where you are walking with me, and you're the God who take care, can take care of me. Isn't it interesting? They end up spending 40 years there because they rebelled against God. And you know what? He made sure that their clothes were okay. He made sure that their shoes were okay. He made sure that all of these things, in spite of everything, what, what they did, right? Isn't it amazing that we've got a God who is capable of doing that and loving kindness? So the question I have to la- ask myself is, how do I live? I look to God for direction to do the right thing. Do I stop when I make decisions and just trust? that he's the one who is there and look to him and ask myself is how can you be glorified in the things that are happening? Anybody here know who Sidney McLaughlin is? The people that were in first service know Sidney McLaughlin. You know Sidney McLaughlin? Sidney McLaughlin. What did she do? You know? No, not yet. She hasn't run it yet. She is the world record holder for 400 meters, hurdles, 
400-meter hurdles. I think, what, in about 51 seconds, a little under 51 seconds, my wife says, how can you do that? And I said, I can't. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many hours later it would take me to get to the finest, final hurdles. But I love Cindy McLaughlin. Cindy McLaughlin was trained in a Catholic high school uh, and, and, and brought up, and she has a faith. But I love what she said after she won, or at, she won, actually, uh, the Olympic trials for the United States in world record time. This is what she said. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. And I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Now, I don't know what's going to happen on the fourth. She runs the final. She'll probably get through to the final. I don't know what's going to happen on the fourth. The other American that will probably get there with her is going to be neck and neck. And maybe she won't win the gold. But that's not what's important. What's important to her is that God is glorified. I want to talk to you about another little girl. Her name is Tatyana uh, Shoemaker. You know her? Tatyana Shoemaker is a South African swimmer. She got gold in the 200 women's butterfly. Five days before she raced, this was her prayer. May we be empowered by your strength to give our all, and may we forever be in awe of your goodness. Thank you for bringing us to this very moment. She did this in an Instagram a few days before she was to swim the 200. What was her goal? Her goal was to glorify God. She had a second swimming cap that she sometimes wore when she was not wearing her South African swimming cap. And it had the word sola gloria deo. Sola gloria Deo. God only be glory. To God only be glory. Let me ask you a question, my friends. In our lives, do we wear that swimming cap that says sola Deo gloria? To God only be glory. So that no matter what comes into my life, I know that I've got a God that loves me. I've got a God that cares for me. I've got a God that is powerful enough to do anything that needs to be done. Wow. That's a pretty great promise that he makes, actually, to the Ephesians, isn't it? I was telling Father Don, the last verse of this really starts to tell us how we ought to live in verse 25, but he's handling that next week. Right? Yeah, amen. But let me just close with this, okay? I love this little song. Love this hymn, gospel song. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God, my Father, rule my life and everything, that I may be calm to comfort sick and sorrowing. 
May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win, and may they forget the chance seeing only him. My friends, the chief end of man is to glorify God, and when we do that, then we can enjoy God forever. Amen.